Welcome to the Brain Trust Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Whether you're a leader, a coach, a salesperson, or even a parent, this podcast focuses on how to leverage the science of decision-making to help you become a more impactful communicator and a driving force for change. Well, welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield, and I'm excited today because uh, somebody that I've, I've watched from afar uh, drive a lot of change in their life, be very successful as a professional golfer. You might be familiar with Mr. Ben Curtis. He uh, played professionally on the PGA Tour for 15 years and won several events. Most notably, I remember watching him win the 2003 British Open. Uh, so welcome, Ben. But I'm not even as excited to having Ben on as I am to have his wife, Candace, on because you know whenever there's a successful guy like Ben and the stuff they're doing right now, his wife, Candace, who might actually be the best golfer in the family, there's still debate about that. Uh, she played at Kent, at Kent State as well as Ben when they were back in college and where they met. So welcome to Ben and Candace Curtis. Thanks for joining the show. Well, thank you. Yeah, good to be on. And, um, you know, I just lucky I was a couple years older, so I graduated. So I was able to turn pro before Candace did. So I was, right. able, to, yeah. <laughs> so I was able to get out there before she did. So uh, Anyway, she was a fine golfer in her own right. She hasn't played much in the last few years because of family and kids, but she can still hit it for sure. Really because of him, that's why, right? <laughs> so, you know, like every guest, all of our guests know this, all of our listeners know that every guest knows this. So we always like to start with a little bit of that origin story, right? Because none of us arrived where we are today on our own. We all started somewhere. We got roots. We got we got these beliefs. We got these things that kind of molded who we were today. Um, so and we'll, we'll start with you, Ben. I know a little bit about your background, but tell us a little bit about, you know, how you kind of grew up in this place where not only you wanted to be a professional golfer, but now we're going to get into your foundation, what you and Candace are doing to serve your community, which I'm really excited about. But the, the human being you become today, where'd that start? Well, it's, you know, it started at home. Obviously, I grew up about 50 yards from the 18th green and the putting green, the, the uh, golf course that my grandfather built, Mill Creek Golf Course in Ostrander, Ohio. So for those of you who don't know where that is, it's between Delaware and Marysville. If you're from out of the country or out of the state, it's near Columbus, Ohio, just northwest of Columbus. So about 30 miles or so. But uh, yeah, I just was very lucky. My mom and dad both worked there. My dad's been the only superintendent, still is. They now own the place, the golf course. But, um, yeah, so I was just very lucky to be just in my backyard uh, since I was – I could remember I was just addicted to the game. And, you know, they'd find me out in, the, in my pajamas at night just out there chipping and putting like on three years the, old. At like three, four, or five <laughs> years old and uh, hitting shots over the house. Just played whenever I could. And, um, yeah, so I was just kind of one of those kids is just like, you know, Mozart and those things that just – picked it up from the very beginning and uh well they actually moved they actually had to move away from yeah. the golf course because they're like he's like he's gonna get burned out we got it so they moved i was like a mile i was like nine, nine. probably ten but like they moved so, a mile away he called his grandma grandma can you come pick me up and take yeah. me out to the golf course i'd right, stay i'd stay at her place and she was right next door right on the range. right so i'd stay there as much as i could but yeah, so I was just one of them, you know, like you hear with LeBron, like just grew up playing, and that's how I was. And played uh, my first tournament, you know, as four or five years old, and even out of state, you know, played in Illinois, Pennsylvania, came down to Florida quite a bit when I was a junior golfer. So kind of just, you know, like what Tiger did with just 
a little less fanfare, I should say, kind of, right, right. in a way. I mean, just how to start from a very, very young age. So fascinated. So your grandfather built the course. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So what, it, what, what was it about golf that kind of is in the blood? Like it's in the, it's in the genetic line there somewhere. Well, I mean, he, he was a school teacher and a baseball coach and at a Hamilton Township School just south of Columbus, and he wanted farmland. And so his idea of a farmland was a golf course, I guess, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he found about 110 acres or so. And um, they had a little house on the farm or whatever. And he designed and built the course himself. Well, then they built nine, nine. They holes. started with nine holes in 74 and then 1977, the, the second nine was completed. And so, and they lived in the back of the clubhouse at that point once they got that going. So and they lived in a little one bedroom place in the back. And um, yeah, I just had a passion for, you know, just having his own business, you know, kind of, he loved it. He was always on the tractor. You know, he had a big blue Ford tractor with a big, and he'd just mow all day long. Even if it didn't need mowed, he'd be yeah. mowing, he'd stop and talk to people. He was just a, he was a really good people person too. So he, he just loved talking to anybody. There was no strangers to him. And so he, he just, I think it was just his dream from the time he was a little kid. Funny thing is, too, I think your dad just found that tractor. Yeah, so they sold it. And then my dad found it like a year ago somewhere. I don't even know where it was. <laughs> somewhere. Yes. Yeah, so really? It's in your mom and dad's car yeah. now. So they bought it, got it back. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really good. Now, was your grandfather a good golfer or he just liked to be around the game? He didn't really play. I mean, that much. Um, you know, there was really no blood with golf in our family. So, uh, until he came. Yeah, my cousins played. They were about eight to 10 years older and they played um, college golf. One played Bowling Green, the other played at Georgia Southern. They were good players, but obviously because he built the course, they had the opportunity to, to grow up playing the game as well. So, um, they just didn't pick it up as early as I did. They picked it up when they were eight, ten years old, but they became successful golfers and played college golf themselves. So they, there was really no, no like, how <laughs> would say, golfing blood in our background. Yeah, this fascinating. Your grandfather was an entrepreneur and wanted a farm farmland, and he built a course because he enjoyed golf to some degree or saw an opportunity there, and, and you grew up around it. Now, now tell me, from the, from the time you were four or five until, let's say, you were maybe 15, 18. Uh, what were the one or two lessons that you learned, whether it's through golf or just being around that environment that really served you well when you got into college and played? Well, I mean, you know, with grandfather, he would always do play some tricks on me, take clubs out of my golf bag. He would, you know, just, you know, uh, make noise. Make noise. He'd come up behind me and try to scare me. And he's like, if you want to play professionally, you got to learn to hit with any club in the bag at any distance. And then also, you know, be able to have that distraction and tune it out. Um, and then also what he would do would be, uh, he'd just say, just let the clubs do the talking. Don't, don't, don't let your emotions get a better of you and, you know, don't showboat, just let the clubs do the talking. So a lot of that stuff just resonated until, you know, still today. That's awesome. I love that. So he taught you uh, focus, adaptability, right? Managing your emotions, mindset, a lot of those things. Isn't it amazing? We reflect back on what we learned early in life and you realize how well it serves you when you get a little bit older. Yeah. Well, if you look at all the successful players on tour, like they, like you just mentioned, they're able to adapt to the conditions, the different courses that you play every week, the different circumstances you're put in, right? You have the lead one week 
next week you might miss the cut. So how do you deal with all that? And uh, right. just learning to, you know, deal with those emotions and, and put it to good use. Cause you know, I've heard several players say just because you missed the cut doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Yes. You want to play the weekend, but you can learn from what happened. Why didn't you, you know, why weren't you successful this week versus other weeks? So yeah. you can learn, definitely learn from that. I always felt like, and I mentioned to you guys in the pre-show that I didn't pick up golf until I was a little bit older. What I love about golf is how it applies to life. It really is a great metaphor for life that, you know, you really got to focus on the shot in front of you. Right. And you can't think so far out that you're missing out execution and the focus right. and maintaining your emotion. And, and when I first started playing golf, because I told you I was an athlete in other sports, I just thought it'd be easy. Right. Right. I mean, I could throw a baseball 90 miles an hour. I could throw a football 80 yards practically. Right. I could really play those sports. So how hard could golf be? Right. And, and it was maddening to me. And so just just the, the management of your emotions around this can't be that hard. It's right. a little white ball. It's a big club. And I, I'm a tall guy. I should be able to hit it a mile. It was <laughs> yeah. so maddening. So uh, that's good. OK, so Candace, let's let's move over to you for a second. Enough about Ben. We've heard enough about Ben. I'm not that interesting. Yeah, I'll go take a dab here. Yeah. No, no, I think uh, I'm real curious as to your origin story as well, right? Because it, it, it's really meaningful. Because I've, I've seen video clips on you and the foundation, things you're doing. And you have such, I could tell, you have such a compassionate, caring heart for, especially for the kids in your community. Well, it just it just comes out. Not that Ben doesn't. Ben, no offense. I'm just saying, you know. Oh, I, know. I get it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm just curious where that came from from you. Like, where did you get that drive to want to serve other people? I, I don't, I don't know. Honestly, my mom probably she's like that. But I think I, that's a tough. I don't really know where it came from. If you would have asked me 30 years ago what I did, what I think I'd be doing, what I'm doing now, no. But I think once we had our own kids and we became parents. I think that changes you in itself as well. Um, I guess I, I don't know. I it just I, there's something that drives me. I think because our kids are in the schools that we serve, and we watched a special on TV, and um, they followed like a family around um, after the recession. Both parents have lost their jobs, and, and they had two young kids, and when you know, the mom opened the fridge and the kids was, you know, they were hungry and she, there was nothing there for her to provide for them. I thought I, what a, that would feel awful. And I think that kind of, I always, I always seem to go back to that and being in the school and talking to teachers and you're seeing the difference you're making. I think that keeps you going as well. You know, that this is so needed. and so um, like, there's so many kids without, she always has that instinct to like that compassion, right? Because like I always joke is like, hey, you got the kids, the dogs, family members, <laughs> friends, and then I'm down here at the bottom, right? So she's always thinking about other people. What can she do to help to make their day better, to make them feel warm and welcome versus, you know, you know what I mean? I know. You know, I, so I, I think she's always had, I don't think she even realized. She does. <laughs> she, that's just who she is. 
Yeah, I love what I love about this show is is that you know I do think all the listeners out there they know this. I talk about it all the time. Many of us have these hidden little superpowers we don't even recognize are superpowers. Right. Uh, you know, if you're if you're spiritual, you might call it a spiritual gift. If you're well, you know what, what, whatever your background is, and, and and you seem to have that compassion as a superpower, right? Um, and you collectively, the two of you with this foundation are making a huge impact. And so what was the light bulb? You said you saw the special on TV. Yeah. You watched the family in need. And then what was that moment where you guys said, this is what we're going to do? We called around and we, we said, what's going on? If this is going on, I think this took place in Texas or yeah. something. And we thought, so we called um, a friend of ours uh, on the school board and said, what, what's in Kent where we're from? you know, what's the the number of kids or percentage of kids on a free and reduced lunch? And it was at the time like 47 or 48%. And one school had 80% of the kids on a free or reduced lunch. And uh, we thought, well, that's, that's kind of it. Like you can't be without food. And I had done work with the tour life. Um, we, we did like, we, we went to food banks and we did other like food related things, but I never really, gave it a second thought that that would be happening where we're from because Kent's very, I mean, it's a college town, but it's middle class. And you wouldn't think that it, there's a school at 80% of kids on a free reduced lunch. So we met with the principal there and kind of formulated our own program so that we could, it worked for the schools because they actually passed them out. We, we just pack them and get them to school. So we wanted to work on their end as well as our like, you know, that we can, you know, have the manpower to pull off what we were doing. So we started in 2013 with um, the birdie bag program and, and it's nine meals and six snacks. So you'll get like ramen noodles or pasta, uh, mac and cheese. Um, and so you get nine meals, six snacks, which would be like granola bars, sunflower seeds, um, things like that. And then we also do a toiletry kit, a travel size toiletry kit with shampoo, conditioner, body wash, um, toothpaste, and then a toothbrush every three months because that's um, something that, funny enough, isn't provided with any subsidy. So any government subsidy you're on doesn't cover a lot of, like, hygiene products. So um, so that's kind of how we formulated. We worked with the school or with the one principal, yeah. and we did 135 bags of, what, remember that, in yeah. our basement with our family. Like, so it's, it's truly a family affair. So it was, like, with our family and now we do um like 40 i think we're at 4700 bags a month now and we're in six school districts wow so it started with one school 135 bags and it's grown yeah it's grown now to how many schools six well it's six districts it's probably yeah. i never really that was one it. school within the kent district yeah. now or within the district now you're at six total districts okay so who knows how many schools that is right i mean there's probably three or four in each school district well there's seven in kent there's right. three of four, I don't know. There's probably 12, like, uh, there's probably yeah. 20, maybe 25 schools, I'd say. And, there, I and another that. reason was that we chose this charity, too, was, or this cause, was that because if you can only give one or two dollars, you're making an impact on someone's life. So I think what's it cost for about? We actually have come down in cost, <laughs> yeah. um, but it's probably roughly like three dollars a bag now. Uh, the wow. toiletry at bumps that up quite, you know, yeah. quite a bit. But yeah, so for three dollars, you can, you can, you can uh, feed a kid, feed a kid, for, a kid a for a week. So let me go back because I think this is really important. You, you guys were 
I think like a lot of us that are sitting around in suburban America or small town America, um, or even in the city. So it doesn't matter. We thought, well, this probably isn't a huge deal here. It seems like there's, you know, there's enough resources. I'm sure things are fine. And you started asking around and realized that here in, you know, kind of suburban America and in a small town, Kent, Ohio, there's in some cases a school with 80% of the kids on, on free or reduced lunches. So that, yeah. that awareness you guys had, I want everybody to hear that because I think asking that question in your own community today might surprise a lot of people, especially coming off, well, we're not quite off yet, but coming through this pandemic. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'm like, I am compassionate, but I'm also a very driven person. <laughs> like, Penn's like, could you just, you can lay off the tunnel vision for a second. <laughs> and like, you have your site set, but you go into these districts like our Barberton, um, Ravenna, which is a neighboring city to us. Um, they're at 100% free and reduced lunch. So 100% their whole district is on free and reduced lunch. They should just pick up a thousand bags for, you know, for their school. They'll, they'll pick it up the other day. They picked it up. So it's like, you know, you, you go in. So Kent, I thought was eye opening, but now as we're going into these other districts, you're going, wow. I mean, this is. And another thing too, like, and you were just hitting on it was that people don't realize it, but we, we talked to the, the school and the teachers and they, you know, one of the big things they said is like empower the kids, right? So give them something because they may not have the resources, like you say, home. They may not have a stovetop or yeah, or, <laughs> or it, might, it might be a microwave is about the best they have. No so, butter or milk. No butter or milk. So make sure you give them something that these kindergartners, first graders, second graders, that they can make themselves, right? And so, don't protect so that's why a lot of mac cheese, pastas, and stuff, ramen noodles is that then they can make it themselves, and yeah. so. That was a big thing that we learned because at first we were going to give them all this healthy, nutritious food, <laughs> you know, give them yeah. like uh, the farmer's market credit, go down and buy, you know, food, but it it, it's just yeah. not part of their deal. And then um, also, too, because a lot of times what they do, you know, they, that, the other reason why we chose it was because sometimes they'll skip meals just to keep the electric on or keep their gas bill. You know, they're choosing to do that versus feed their own kids. So. Yeah. Those are pay, yeah. yeah those so it's, it's quite sad and you just feel awful for the kids. And, you know, a lot of the meals they get are only at school. So hopefully, you know, they, there's long weekends and this weekend throughout the school year where they're not getting food from Friday or Thursday until Monday or Tuesday. That's a long time. Think think about it. For us, we get hungry, just go over to the pantry or the fridge and get something to eat. Don't even really think about it. And you know, to them, this is a, it's a it's a big deal. And another kind of trickle down. It's not really like a benefit, but like teachers, right? So you think you think teachers are in these in this classroom, and they're providing snacks for kids. You know, because they're they're hungry, they have nothing. So at least with the birdie bags they can bring that snack then back to school the next day and you're saving teachers money you know in the in their classroom or if we have leftover food too we'll give it to the schools and say hey give them out there for snacks for the kids so you're you're trying to help you know some teachers saying they do two three hundred bucks a year just in in uh snacks so you know of their own dime so. Right. Now, have you guys seen or what, what impact has COVID had on what kids have needed? Have you seen a uh, significant increase in that as parents have either been out of work or, or has it been pretty steady as far as it was always an issue before and still a, it's still a major issue? Has it changed dramatically or no? 
Um, yeah, it, I think it, it's changed, but with school not being in, our numbers are lower. Like, cause some, some schools are hybrid, some schools are all remote. So the numbers I think are higher, but the amount, the kids not being in school affects those numbers, right? Because with our program, a teacher identifies and says, you know, this child needs to be on the birdie bag program. And so they'll let the count, the liaison at the school know, well, if they're not in school, how do you get the bags to them? So that's been a little bit of a hurdle. But I think it's across the board with a lot. Of, I've talked to a lot of other organizations and it's, I think it's tough because, you know, it, the reaching of them. But well, and they don't have the, you know, they can't get, they don't have the transportation to get to places to pick up the food and things like that. Yeah, so, so you so, have that issue yeah. as well. But I mean, it's. I think the number is definitely the need is, and I think it's going to be, ne- you know, next year, next school year, and that I think we're going to see our numbers jump drastically. Really go up. Okay. Yeah, we doubled just this year. I think we were at twenty. Well, you're doing it more frequently. We're yeah. doing it like basically once a month. Now the bags are going out every week. Yeah, it was, yeah. we went from like twenty nine to forty seven hundred just in. in like months <laughs> it was like <laughs> what happened and they no. talk about the technology but yeah and that's, that's another another thing is we noticed a lot with uh, the remote learning there's a big technology gap so we're starting to like visit that with you know kids remote learning don't have internet and they don't maybe like we bought headphones and calculators okay. for schools just to help them because you can't you know if they don't they need to share you can't share calculators in the classroom so each kid having a you know one-to-one calculator was helpful for some schools and so we were kind of starting to visit that and get the teachers and the school districts input as to maybe where we can help that you know help each kid have the same kind of tools to learn with during this time, so. Yeah, you don't even think about those things, right? You, those things you don't even think about. Mm-mm. And can't, internet's a big issue, right? A lot of families don't have the <laughs> internet to log on and do, to the, do the, to the Zoom calls or, you know, whatever platform they use to do yeah. the, to do the, uh, we were high, yeah, we were hybrid. Remote learning. No. Yeah. So it's just those things you learn. And, and it's so nice. I think that's the best part with working closely with the school is your kind of, you know, they can tell you because they're like living it. So you, right. you know, teachers are, I mean, they're, there's a source of information. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. Well, it's easy for us to somewhat live in our bubbles and, you know, try to, you know, we talk about this a lot, you know, with the psychology behind stress as, you know, when you're under stress and your environment is stressful, you tend to draw in and further self-preservation. Um, and for those, even people with means, we still end up doing that. And it can be devastating to those without means who are also feeling overwhelmed and stressed, but then they don't have anywhere to turn and they don't have any resources. So, you know, for those of us who have been given much is given, much is expected, right? In return yeah. is to, during this time to really think outside of ourselves and look to ways that we can help. And what you've done is you've started to almost bring awareness to those issues that maybe many people haven't even considered no. and thought about. The food service is one thing. There's lots of programs and lots of places for something like that. But you guys are beyond food, right? You've moved into lots of different yeah. areas where there's needs and you focused it on the school systems. And that's where I want to ask you about because if I'm, let's say I'm listening today from, I don't know, Nebraska, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I didn't even think about this. I'm, I'm motivated to do something. Yes, 
you can certainly give, you know, to the Ben Curtis Family Foundation. But how did you guys started by just talking to the principal of the local school district and finding out what what the need was and what was available to serve? Is that where it started for you? You said, yeah. And usually, any new district we go into, that's who we will go and talk to, either the superintendent or who's handling, you know. Um, like we just went into Akron Public Schools, which is a big. That's probably, I mean, it's that's a, a whole nother. It's animal. a whole nother beast. <laughs> I mean, it's but they have like a whole food, um, like child nutrition center that handles it. So that's what I would do is reach out to, you know, the superintendent and ask like, how can we? Is this an issue in your community, and how can we help? Because we also do, and I didn't even touch base on, but we do a Christmas program as well that we work closely with the superintendent and the teachers, where the um, like they the counselor, the liaison, the school identifies the kids. They fill out a wish list um, in school of needs and wants for for Christmas, and then we have giving trees at local area businesses around the community, and they then you know shop for the kids, return the gifts. We um, we wrap it. We have volunteers that come in and wrap it. Um, we make sure that every gift has items on their list. And then they we um, they drove through the school this year. We did a drive-through style. And um, they drove through and picked up their gifts for each kid in the family. So it's the whole family, not the parents, but any child in the family. And then they picked up a Christmas meal to prepare on Christmas Day with ham or turkey, whichever they chose, and all the sides. So they, they, that's a big event. And I think it was, that was, we had a lot of kids. We did 514 kids this year with like 177 families that got, we um, helped provide Christmas for. So that's, and all the teachers get involved, yeah. but that's yeah. called a very merry dinner. Yeah. So, and to go back to what you were talking or asking, I think, you know, they can, obviously people can talk to the local food bank. Uh, they might, oh, yeah, they can yeah. talk to, you know, hey, there's programs in this community here. Cause there might already be one going on in their community. And they don't even know it. It just might be in a right. small scale. I mean, a lot of churches do that yeah. too. And then like Candace said, just talk to the book. Some find somebody within the school system, board member, uh, right. superintendent, even teachers, and they might guide you in the right direction. Sorry, I totally went squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> I totally went off on a <laughs> Yeah. Well, here's what I'm pulling from this conversation and what I've seen from you guys is that the more that you guys have provided an avenue to give and the more that you just didn't want to write a check, you got involved and you got your hands dirty and you want to be a part of the giving, the more addicting it is, isn't it? That you start to see the, di- oh, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. difference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he, ben, I mean, Ben drives the trucks, he delivers the bids to the schools and well, not as much because I got my golf academy. It's kind of <laughs> I'm taking a backseat, but we. But you know, we're both very right. like involved in, yeah. in what's going on, and. And how's that impacted your children? So you have two kids, fourteen and thirteen. Yeah. Uh, how how is how is being around that impacted them? They well, <laughs> they were never so happy because during COVID, we had volunteers. Yeah. And we didn't let any volunteers, and so it was like them and their friends and stuff that we, you know, they were in our bubble. But they, so they were never so happy to see volunteers come back. But no, they, <laughs> I think I would say it's changed them in the sense that they learned in their own school, you know, they like, I think they look at it maybe a little differently than we might. Well, I think they see, know. I mean, they go to kid, they go to school with all these kids, you know, so they, they see what maybe the impact that they have and stuff. But um, how many kids? Cause in Kent yeah. too, it's, We've been there so long 
that it's not a big deal. They'll, you'll see, you know, they'll carry their white birdie bags out. Like they don't even put them in the backpack. They just get on the bus with them or whatever. So I think that probably the kids, I think it's opened their eyes to how many kids that actually need that are, they are food insecure. As so, ever, but we all, we all live in our own bubble, right? <laughs> it's right, just like right. for us, you know, being in Kent, we didn't realize, you know, we've been there for, she's been there her whole life. I've been there, you know, 20 years now. And you just don't realize that it's there, right? If you're not in it, it's hard to imagine being in it, so to speak. So I think it did open, I mean, open our eyes for sure. And I think for the kids, it's the, hey, there is, it's not just <laughs> all nice things out there. There's there's some yeah. people out there that are living paycheck to paycheck and um, week by week, day by day. And, and it's not just wake up and, you know, everything's fine. You know, the double-edged sword, I think, for our kids is, and I remember we I grew up in a small rural school. You don't see, I, I didn't see color and I didn't see economic status. You just were kids. And yeah, yeah, you know, Bill, Billy might smell funny because he hasn't bathed in a week, but you don't think much of it, right? When you're no. 17, 16, 15, 13. But when you start to recognize that when you can't open their eyes and see that there are a lot of people hurting around you, it st- starts to set a foundation, hopefully, that your kids will take the rest of their lives, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I think, like, we tell them all the time just stories like we gave a seven year old kid, a little boy, his first toothbrush. And the nurse at the school had to show him how to brush his teeth. And I said that, like, kids, you you had a toothbrush when you were two years old. You know, so right. we, we do share that stuff. Like, another family, um, she has, it was it's a grandma, and she's got, I think it's four kids, but they're all, like, middle school, so almost young adult kids, but they're living in um, two hotel rooms because she cleans, um, like, the hotel, and they allow her to have rent. I think they give her the rent space or whatever they've worked out, but, she, you know, here she is with four or five grandkids, you know, it's almost adults. And I like that stuff that you, you know, you have your, you know, your own room and you put it in perspective, right? You just want to, well, you just set an example, right? That's the best. I mean, thing that we can do for our kids and our grandkids, you know, hopefully down the line, it's just, you know, can we set that like my grandfather, my parents did, we just, Set it by example, yeah. right? Don't you just absorb it? <laughs> you absorb you? it. Yeah. I think the kids, like you said, they you don't see color, you don't see you know status. You just see kids, right? And I think if you do that in your own world, that you know that's going to carry forward to the next generation. Yeah, that's a great thing from a, a unity standpoint. But it sometimes can be a blind spot if you're not looking out for people that you don't realize need the help. Yeah. Right. I think that's the double-edged sword, right? Is to is to, to, to your kids are picking up on. It, not everything's like it seems. Treat other people fairly and equally, but yeah. start asking questions on who might need help. And I think that's sometimes we all get stuck in our in our uh, you know hamster wheel of our own bubbles. And not, <laughs> yeah. not right. Not not look up and look out at who needs help. Right. Yeah, and if you're you know you think about and I say to them too, I said think about it, what you deal with sometimes at school or what you and you have us to come home to. You have four grandparents, like you can go to them. I mean, think about the support you have with your issues and things like that at school. And I said, and there's a lot of kids that don't have that. Just, right. the, you know, just people-wise to 
lean on. Well, let's do this then. Let's take, uh, let's point some people in a couple of specific directions. I know um, people in, in your area, as you guys continue to expand out beyond, you're up to six districts and moving on now beyond even where you are, uh, where can they find out more information? Uh, going to the Family Foundation website? Is that is that the best place? Yeah, good. yeah. yeah. you can go to yeah, bencurtisfoundation.org and um, there's, you know, you can see the number of programs we do, how to get involved. There's a number of ways to get involved. We do. Um, we have our golf event, uh, which is Friday, August 6th this year. And then we also do a wine event. Um, it's October 2nd, Saturday, October 2nd. And those are our two big fundraisers. So if you're looking for something fun to do for a good cause, um, but we have like lots of volunteer opportunities and things like that. So, but if you, if you want to get your along. company involved to help, and we, you know, we bags pack or, bags or, you know, other volunteer situations. I know we've had a bunch of like all states brought. Yeah. We have a bunch of different companies that come in, do their, you know, kind of group kind of, I don't know, like team, team building, team building and, yeah. you know, and that, that's great. Also schools, you know, we work with school groups too, yeah. try to get them involved, you know, so what the great thing about Kent and some of these other schools that bring their, you know, their, what do they call it? Uh, um, Riders taking action, yeah. and then they come in and they, uh, you know, use their yeah, crew with kind of, you know, they're helping kids within their own school district. So it's really cool to see. But yeah, yeah if you go to the foundation, you can find everything and, you and know, all, yeah. the, all then, the stuff that we're doing. And if you reach out, you'll get my, my sister-in-law, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I'll know. It's, yeah. she's, she's, I mean, besides them. money, obviously volunteers is our big, yeah. big thing, right? And you know, we have so many, we have great support and, you know, we can always use it. We're always looking for adding new people and <laughs> things like yeah, that. Because it's really cool is that the, our birdie bag like packs have become a community of their own. So people yeah. now they come in and it's like, oh, you know, they're catching up on stuff and <laughs> It's become its own family. Well, that's fantastic. So I want to just re reinforce what you said there. So bencurtisfoundation.org. And there's lots of ways you can get uh, plugged in there. You can uh, volunteer, you can donate, you can sponsor. Uh, you can even get, uh, they got to spread the word. You can you yeah. can help uh, as many ways to get involved. And, and and that's there in that area, Northeast Ohio. I also encourage you, uh, wherever you're listening from, to just get involved somehow, some way in your community. Reach out to these wonderful people here. Uh, and if you want to know their journey of how they set this thing up and maybe you want to learn some, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not committing your time to teaching people how to set up nonprofits, but uh, there might be some lessons learned there uh, as well, right? Yeah. And I think we're always uh, in like for creative too. We always wanted to benefit everyone. So yeah, we're always, so yeah, if they had a question or they didn't see something, reach out. I think it's info at bankcurvisfoundation.org and, you know, we'll get back to you. Perfect. Well, okay. As we land the plane, um, first of all, thank you both for being on. This was very yeah. motivational for me, inspirational <laughs> for me. I know the listeners as well. I feel like I need to get up and do more right now and get off my own hamster wheel uh, and go do something to help somebody else. Um, I'd be remiss if I let you guys go. If Ben, I didn't ask you, yeah. what's your favorite course? Uh, I mean, it depends. I mean, competition. No, you can't. You can't give me a wishy-washy. You get one last round of golf well, before they put you in the ground. What's your course? What course are you playing? Probably Pebble Beach. Probably Pebble Beach. Pebble Beach. That's just you know the scenery. The the course is really good. It's just the whole thing. I mean, it's just it's just. I know it's like seven hundred bucks to play now for the local <laughs> for that, but it's just. It's just a treat to be able to walk around and play that place. I mean, I've played it a bunch, and it's 
it's a lot of fun. I mean, St. Andrews is great. It's a little bit different. I mean, competition wise, I know you just wanted the one, but like, I love Riviera. It's just okay. down in LA. It's just a classic old style golf course. It's, it, you hit every club in the bag. It's got a lot of variety and it's just, a, it's kind of weird how it sits down in the valley there, but it's just a fantastic golf course. That's great. Well, as we close, uh, for those listening who can afford to play Pebble Beach, I'm going to encourage you to go a year without playing Pebble Beach, and I want you to go invest in 235 birdie bags instead. Go. Look at nice. that quick math. Yeah. In place of that round of golf. Yeah, see there, I'm with you. Um, it probably wasn't accurate. You know, it's farm boy math, so it's just it's just a guesstimate. Um, but I just want to thank you guys for being guests today on the Driving Change podcast. Uh, it truly has been a privilege uh, to, to host this and have you guys on, so thank you. Thank Thanks, Jeff. It was our pleasure. (laughs) Have a great day. Hey, friends. This is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in life. We've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.